Bioneers Revolution from the Heart of Nature is made possible in part by Organic Valley, a farmer-owned cooperative producing local food with the future in mind since 1988. Learn more at organicvalley.com. Welcome to the Bioneers Revolution from the Heart of Nature. If you live in a community like where I live in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and you have enough money, you can live as if the system's not broken at all. I can travel just 40 miles east to inner city Detroit, where we have a population of close to 900,000 people, the 11th largest city in the United States without a single major grocery store in the entire city. It's all alive. It's all connected. It's all intelligent. It's all relatives. We stand at the threshold of a historic opportunity in the human experiment to reimagine how to live on Earth in ways that honor the web of life, each other, and future generations. It's a revolution from the heart of nature and the human heart. In this series, The Bioneers, Revolution from the Heart of Nature, we celebrate social and scientific innovators with breakthrough solutions for restoring people and planet, creating a future environment of hope. Food security. It's a term we'll be hearing a lot more. Food security commonly refers to persistent hunger and lack of access to healthy foods. In the U.S., it's most acute and pervasive in low-income communities and communities of color, and it's getting worse. In the context of climate change, food security is coming to mean much more. A changing climate will destabilize and disrupt agriculture. It's already driving fresh water shortages, topsoil loss, and the spread of diseases or pathogens encouraged by a highly centralized and globalized food system. Food security also hinges on the vulnerability and cost of globalized, long-distance, fossil-fueled supply chains. One thing is secure. Food insecurity will increasingly affect our lives. Today, a countervailing movement is rising to transform the globalized, industrialized, corporate food system and foster food security writ large. This movement uses organic and sustainable practices. It favors the local. It weaves equity and justice into the food web. This is the dawning age of local food sheds and fair food. It's about far more than farms and farmers. It's about redesigning our entire food system. The food system, by which I mean the way we grow food, but also the way we process it and transport it around the world, uses more fossil fuel, close to 20% of the total, and contributes more greenhouse gas, somewhere between 15 and 33%, to the atmosphere than any other industry. Best-selling author Michael Pollan has done more than perhaps any other single national figure to serve up food for thought about our food systems and diet. His award-winning books, including The Omnivore's Dilemma, have chronicled the emerging locavore movement and portrayed the emergence of a very different future food system. He reports that across the United States, communities are busy putting down roots again, reinventing a more decentralized, diverse, and locally self-reliant food system, one that offers a critical path to building prosperous local economies and creating local jobs. People everywhere are doing the work that most needs to be done to truly transform how we feed ourselves equitably within the limits of the natural world. Join us for Going Locavore, Urban Innovation, Community Transformation with Michael Pollan, Fair Food Advocate Orrin Hesterman, 
and community activists James Ella James and Victoria Carter. My name is Neil Harvey. I'll be your host. Welcome to the Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature. Michael Pollan's books and his investigative reporting as a contributing editor to the New York Times Magazine have offered a very different vision of a future food system that's sustainable. As the Knight Professor of Journalism at the University of California at Berkeley, he's helping shift science, environmental, and food reporting those critical few degrees that allow us to see the real impacts of our food choices. To Pollan, food is at the nexus of three critical issues— climate change, energy independence, and health care. We're spending over $2 trillion a year to treat Americans. More than $500 billion a year goes to treat preventable chronic diseases linked to diet. The health care crisis is a euphemism for the catastrophe of the American diet. And... And basically the leading product of the American food system today our patients for the American healthcare system. That has to change. So that's the bad news. The food system is broken. People know it increasingly. Farmers know it for sure. And what is responsible for this broken system is largely our agricultural policies. Federal agricultural policies have largely benefited a handful of giant agribusiness corporations that today produce and manufacture most of what we eat. They're farming the government, and their real crop is money. There's no question that food is cheap, in great part because it's subsidized by taxpayers and doesn't account for environmental and public health costs. Pollan says we can improve overall public health and even help solve the climate crisis with what he calls the Sun Food Agenda. His vision would wean the American food system off its heavy diet of fossil fuels, also the source of synthetic fertilizers, pesticides, and herbicides, and replace them with a heaping helping of sunshine. The fix also includes diverse crops instead of vulnerable monocultures, and it's a lot closer to home. Michael Pollan spoke at a recent Bioneers conference. Do you know right now if you receive subsidies for corn and soy and wheat and rice, if you want to plant a row of tomatoes, say, or broccoli, you can't, you're not allowed to, you lose your your classification as subsidized land. Indefinitely. So we are forcing our farmers to plant monocultures. That has to change. We need to reward them for how many different crops they plant, how many days of the year their fields are green. In other words, how many days of the year their fields are harvesting sunlight for rotations, for um, cover crops, and that kind of thing. Um, diversification of our farms will pay a great many benefits. It will lead to a reduction in the need for fertilizers, reduction in the need for pesticides, but it will mean an increase in labor. We're going to need more farmers, and that's another set of policies we need. We're going to need to put 10, 20, 30 more million people on the land, and that's also part of a sun food agenda. We need four-season farmers' markets, so the farmers' market movement isn't limited to... uh, you know, four or six months of the year. We need to rebuild distribution networks. Right now, it's very hard to get food grown within, say, 50 miles of any city directly to that city without passing through on these crazy distribution routes. 
So decentralizing the food system, it has a great many virtues. It will allow farmers to diversify. It will shorten the food chain so that healthy food will be fresh, minimally processed food will make it to our cities and our food deserts and our rural food deserts as well because the problem is just as bad in Iowa as it is in West Oakland right now, access to fresh food because it's all being sold globally and nationally. Now, the market's already making this happen, but there's a lot we can do at the government level to push it. We also need to look at our food assistance programs and add on vouchers to food stamps and WIC that are redeemable at farmer's markets and get, get access to fresh, real food to people who need it. Michael Pollan. Lack of access to healthy, real food is one of the starkest symptoms of our broken food system. Fair Food Network CEO Oren Hesterman agrees that chronic illness is one of those symptoms. He classifies childhood obesity and diet-related diabetes not as individual problems to be solved by personal lifestyle choices, but as key indicators of a food system systems error. Although these danger signs aren't limited to low-income residents of inner-city neighborhoods, Hesterman says the disproportionate impacts on these communities are unmistakable. If you live in a community like where I live in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and you have enough money, you can live as if the system's not broken at all. I can access, if I have the means to do it, I can access food, healthy, fresh, safe food from anywhere in the world within minutes of my house in Ann Arbor, Michigan. From where I live in Ann Arbor, Michigan, I can travel just 40 miles east to inner-city Detroit. And there you see the symptoms of that broken system much more severely, where we have a population of close to 900,000 people, the 11th largest city in the United States without a single major grocery store in the entire city. Oren Hesterman says the solution to Detroit's lack of access to healthy, fresh food resides within the city limits. In Detroit a city that's 139 square miles in size, about a third of that city is vacant right now and is unlikely to be repopulated anytime soon. That gives us somewhere between five and 10,000 acres of arable land within the city of Detroit. Now, is it going to need testing for uh, soil health and some soil remediation? In some cases, yes. In some cases, no. But it's good farmland. That's why Detroit was settled there. It's got great fresh water sources. Michigan is surrounded by one-fifth of all the fresh water on the planet in the Great Lakes, so surrounded by the resource that I, I believe in the future is going to be more valuable than oil, especially for that kind of local agriculture. Picture a cityscape checkerboarded with green zones, farms, and gardens at every turn. If 10,000 acres of the Motor City were put back to work producing local food, might tens of thousands of Detroiters find their work in the food economy? Hesterman says it's possible. If we could shift 20% of food purchases to more local sources in the five-county area of southeast Michigan surrounding the city of Detroit, that could create 35,000 new jobs. No additional money spent, just spending food money differently, so more of it is spent in the local economy, you create 35,000 new jobs. When everybody's talking about what's the next economy, in an industrialized manufacturing center like Detroit, I think about why not make the next economy Detroit's first economy, which is the food economy. Everywhere you have people living, there is a vibrant food economy. 
the big question is how we're going to use that economy. Are we going to use it on uh, highly processed and packaged food that's making people sick? At the same time, it's evaporating the money right out of that community immediately, or are we going to think about how to organize and redesign the food system so, so more of those local expenditures are keeping people and families and kids healthy at the same time supporting a local food economy and local agriculture? Oren Hesterman, marrying community health with a healthy local food economy in a vision to revitalize a city. When we return, we'll take a tour of urban food innovations designed on principles of equity, diversity, sustainability, and environmental health. This is Going Locavore, Urban Innovation, Community Transformation. I'm Neil Harvey. You're listening to The Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature. You can download this and other Bioneers programs on the radio pages at Bioneers.org. Before James Ella James relocated to Oakland, California, she grew up near Huntsville, Alabama, in a tight-knit community where everyone ate and shared homegrown vegetables and fresh eggs from backyard chickens. Living there was very simple. We grew most of our vegetables, in fact, all of our vegetables. We had our orchards for our fruits. We went hunting when we wanted to kill wildlife. We had our chickens on the yard, turkeys and ducks and all of those, so we needed to eat. we just go out and kill one. My grandfather used to kill the pigs in the neighborhood for everybody. We only had beef about twice a year, and that's when someone decided to kill a uh, calf, and we would divide it up among the neighborhoods. So we really had a healthy way of living. We didn't have to worry about being obese because we didn't have cars to ride everywhere. So we walked everywhere we went. But it was a very simple lifestyle at that time. In 1955, I moved to Oakland, California, in West Oakland. And in West Oakland, there were two markets, Swan's Market, and there was housewives' market. And those markets had fresh vegetables. The farmers came in on the weekend and brought their fresh vegetables, fresh fish and all of that, so everybody went there to get their food. At that time, I could walk to Swan's Market or to housewives' market, and people came from the hills. But then later on, when the white people started to move out of West Oakland into East Oakland, then the store that was there, Safeway, also moved. And then Lucky Store moved. So as a consequence, what we had to eat was the food that had been sitting at the corner store maybe two or three days. James Ella James became a lifelong faith-based social activist. She's currently working on a national program to combat childhood obesity. Teaming up with the Fair Food Network, she's brought some of her rural foodways to the urban food shed, where her neighbors have been hungry for fresh, affordable, local food. But now in Oakland, it looks like we've gone full circle because I have a garden in my backyard planted by Dr. Hesterman, and I have plenty of tomatoes and cabbage and 
squash and all kinds of things that I give to my neighbors. Also in Oakland at this time, we have Mandela Food Cooperative, City Slickers, who help you to start a backyard garden. We have the Fresh Approach, uh, promotes local food systems. And we have the farmer's market at some of the churches on weekends. They have allowed the farmers to come and bring their food. I belong to another organization called the National Council of Negro Women. And we formed a partnership with the Eunice Kennedy Shriver National Institute of Child Health and Human Development, where we're working with children to combat childhood obesity. We also work with families, and this is a national program. So we're now getting on to obesity. That's a major, major problem among us. And as you heard, it's caused by the foods that we eat because we're not able to go and get this expensive food. So that's another problem. Another organization that I work with is called Berkeley Organized Congregations for Action. And that organization works with people to empower them to stand up to ask for what we need in our community. Because we believe that if the faith community leads the way, we will all be able to get there quicker. James Ella James, nourishing the emergence of a healthy, fair, urban food system in Oakland, California. In New Orleans, Louisiana, 150 students at a youth-based nonprofit organization called Rethink are feeding the rebuilding of that city's public schools. Food is among their most serious concerns. Faced with a long litany of chronic problems, Rethink invited chefs, architects, and food experts to serve up a menu of recommendations. Victoria Carter presented it to the school superintendent. Recommendation one, get rid of the useless utensil called spork. A half spoon and a half fork. Recommendation two, buy fresh, tasty food. Recommendation three, buy fresh food from local fishers, farmers, and shrimpers. Recommendation four, present more local dishes on the school menu. Recommendation five, present tasty, healthy food alternatives for vegetarians. Recommendation six, no more styrofoam trays. Recommendation seven, future school designs should include outdoor vegetable gardens. Recommendation eight, use leftover food to make compost for school gardens. Recommendation nine, design cafeterias that you adults would like to eat in yourselves. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's right. Recommendation 10, install sinks so we can wash our hands before eating. Recommendation 11, enough time to enjoy our food and our friends. Recommendation 12, no more silent lunches for any reason. Do not tie punishment to food in cafeterias. The result of these recommendations from the rethinkers is that every new public school built in New Orleans will have garden space, lunchroom sinks, and reusable utensils and trays, and no more sporks. Victoria Carter is part of a powerful wave of urban food innovators around the United States creating local solutions that make economic good sense, build community action, and connect communities to local resources for healthy living. Again, Oren Hesterman. Positive signs are in communities all over the country, like 
in Red Hook, Brooklyn, New York, with an organization added value that literally on a three-acre playground that had been abandoned, the City of New York Parks Department gave it to this nonprofit organization and said, if you can do something with it, go ahead. So after sweeping up the needles and the used condoms, and it's not, that's, you know, I kid you not, this is what they did, and cleaned off the lot, they then made a deal with the Bronx Zoo, who brought all of their bedding and manure from the zoo to this park. And on top of the asphalt, now, about 18 inches to 24 inches of beautiful organic composted soil. They're growing a beautiful organic garden. Kids in the neighborhood earning money growing food and selling at the farmer's market, selling to high-end restaurants in Brooklyn, a neighborhood CSA, kids from the elementary school coming to that playground growing food now. So a great innovative project happening there, but it's not only in Brooklyn. Holyoke, Massachusetts, one of the poorest communities now in the northeastern United States, about 90% Puerto Rican population. Nuestras raíces means our roots in Spanish. So this grassroots organization now has community gardens all over Holyoke, uh, tended by grandparents, parents, children, and grandchildren, three and four generations involved. They have a 30-acre urban farm along the Connecticut River now, and they have created 40 new small businesses related to this local food system owned and run by people in that neighborhood. <laughs> Urban farmers all over the country, we see it in Detroit, we see it in New Orleans, we see it in Chicago, we see it in Baltimore, all over the country, people taking back land that is sitting vacant and growing good, healthy food on it. In Detroit, we have a program that we're leading called Mo Bucks, just as an example where you have not a single major grocery store left across the entire city, the 11th largest city in the United States, we now have a number of farmer's markets. And at those farmer's markets, anybody who comes with their, it used to be called food stamps, but it's now an electronic benefits transfer card. There's $450 million of federal benefits coming to the citizens of Detroit to help them buy food. If all they can access is convenience stores, liquor stores, and party stores, that federal food assistance is not helping them. If they come to the farmer's market, any one of five farmer's markets in Detroit now, and use that same card, they get double their money. All right? Double their money's worth. If they want to spend, if they want to spend $10 on produce at a locally grown produce at farmer's market, $10 debited off their card, they'll get $20 worth of buying power. Nationally, we have proposed to U.S. Department of Agriculture our congressional delegation from Southeast Michigan, something we're calling a Healthy Food Systems Innovation Initiative to build a fund so that projects like the ones I was just talking about can be supported all over the country. It's time for these small projects that we know can be very successful to have the resources to expand and move into greater financial sustainability by moving into the regular market stream. Communities across the United States are growing a new healthy, fair food system. They're mapping their food sheds, where food comes from and how it gets to their plate. They're connecting the dots by developing systems of food entrepreneurship, training, and finance. Because it's a whole system, and because it takes a village to feed a village. Orrin Hesterman. Food becomes a vehicle for community transformation. I mean, I've been working on issues of sustainability and food systems for my whole career, and 
Not too long ago, it was a little hard to get people really energized around this issue. Somehow, a lot of people are waking up about it, which is I'm thrilled about. But people say, well, what can we do? I like to say to people, start wherever you are. You know, if it means organizing, food buying clubs, do that. If it means asking where your kids' food is coming from at school and getting better food because you have kids in school, do that. If you're on a college campus and you're interested in getting better food and locally grown and organic food in the college cafeteria, work on that. Something called the Real Food Challenge, where students all over the country are doing that. If you're interested in farmland and open space protection, work with your local jurisdictions on purchase of development right and other programs that are going to preserve farmland for the future. Try to convince your city and county and state governments to do more procurement. There's a, it's a huge area of policy. You know, We spend a lot of public money on food. I mean, I just think about the conversations I've had in Michigan with some of the people in the Department of Corrections. One of the largest buyers of food with state money in Michigan is the Department of Corrections. Well, you know, we could be using that state, that public money, to support more local agriculture and healthier food if we were using some of that money preferentially to buy locally grown and produced food for our prison cafeterias. At the same time, we know that where much of the action is around policy in the food system is at the federal level. It's not just about changing our own habits in our own home. It's about shifting an entire system. And that the most important step for people to take is to shift from being a conscious consumer to an engaged citizen around issues of food and agriculture. Keep up all the stuff you're doing as as an aware and conscious consumer and start making the shift toward engaged citizenship around this issue at the same time. Oren Hesterman, Michael Pollan, James Ella James, and Victoria Carter, transforming the food system, inviting us all to make the change from conscious consumers to engaged citizens. Going Locavore, urban innovation, community transformation. Downloads of this program and many other Bioneers radio shows are available on the radio pages at Bioneers.org or by calling one 877 That's one 246 6337 Visit Bioneers.org where you can learn how to attend the annual October Bioneers National Conference and local beaming Bioneers conferences. Purchase the radio series, conference CDs and DVDs, and Bioneers books. Join the thriving online Bioneers community and become a Bioneers member or make a donation. All at Bioneers.org or by calling one 877 Bioneer. The Bioneers Revolution from the Heart of Nature is a production of Collective Heritage Institute. Executive producer, Kenny Ausubel. Written by Catherine Stifter and Kenny Ausubel. Senior producer, Neil Harvey. Managing producer, Stephanie Welch. Production management, Aaron Leventman and Chuck Castleberry. Station relations by Creative PR. Distribution is by WFMT Radio Network. Original recordings provided by Focus Audiovisual. Interview recording engineer, Jeff Westman. Our theme music is taken from the album Journey Between by Baca Beyond and used by permission of Hannibal Records, a Ryko Disc label. Additional music was made available by Acoustic Music Records at www.acoustic-music.com. 
For more music information, please visit Bioneers.org. The opinions expressed in the Bioneers Revolution from the Heart of Nature radio series are those of the presenters and are not necessarily those of Collective Heritage Institute, the underwriters, or this radio station. My name is Neil Harvey. Thank you for listening. I invite you to join the Bioneers in inspiring a shift to live on Earth in ways that honor the web of life, each other, and future generations. This is program number 0110. Bioneers Revolution from the Heart of Nature is made possible in part by Organic Valley, a farmer-owned cooperative producing local food with the future in mind since 1988. Learn more at organicvalley.com.